Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We are back. We've got a fantastic show for you guys today. Real estate agents, no BS facts about the housing market. Now, Julie has been working, as she always does, on the podcast um, outline for all of us to enjoy today. And I know you are digging deep into all the facts and the statistics, and it really was kind of fascinating. Mm -hmm. You were sharing with me uh, some of the interesting numerical like you know overviews where the home sales have been in like last 15 years the total number of home sales mm -hmm. and i have to say it was even more than 15 years i was really surprised that was it what was it 2005 there was 7.1 million home sales yeah it was even more than our latest you know super surge yeah it was even more by what over a million Right. I mean, and I thought, I really did believe that the high watermark was 2021 was 6.12 million. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the high watermark was 2005 with over, it was 7.1 million. Yeah, for sure. That's incredible. It is incredible. So lots of interesting facts and figures. And so why does this matter? Well, real estate agents and brokers, this time is not like last time or any time in the past. We are indeed in uncharted waters trying to figure out where the current is headed so we can paddle in that direction instead of trying to paddle against it. Now, in real estate, as in life, knowledge equals confidence and ignorance equals fear. So your job is to be the one with the facts so that you can be a leader in the new market. And here's the thing. You guys are already feeling this. I hear it on coaching calls. I hear it from our coaches. When people feel uncertain of what to expect, you know, we have inflation, we have what's going on in the housing market, we've got political things happening. Well, when people feel uncertain, they tend to take the wait and see approach. This explains the slowdown in your showings, the influx of price reductions, and longer days on the market. But this is important for you guys to digest and really understand that this does not mean that transactions have stopped happening. But it does mean that you need to be, you need to have more talking points for contacting your leads, your prospects, your existing clients, your past clients. It also means you need to be making real face-to-face, voice-to-voice contact. And the following are the facts and how to discuss them. So we're getting away from fiction, speculation, you know, dramatic headlines. Some of this will be kind of translating the facts for you and what you can do with it. But remember, knowledge equals confidence. So you're going to be more likely to actually talk real estate when you know what's actually happening. It is normal and natural in most markets for there to be a slowdown in fourth quarter into first quarter. That's true. But now what we're seeing is you have compounding of the, you know, compounding effects of the uncertainty with interest rates, the uncertainty with politics, the just overall economic malaise, inflation. I mean, all these sound like doom and gloom, gloom things. And for many people, they are. But really, how you react to those things will determine ultimately what your experience is because of those things. So you can still do incredibly well because you're selling real estate. You can do incredibly well no matter what direction the market's going. And we're going to share with you some facts and some statistics. We were you know, shedding light on that a little bit a second ago. But it is, it is really fascinating. And, and here's the thing that Julie said. You know, I think she said it well. It's really ultimately nobody really knows what's going to happen. The word uncertainty, I think, cannot be – that's almost too weak of a word, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jerome Powell in his uh, Senate testimony – last week or something, basically said, this guy's the head of the Fed, if you guys don't know. He, in essence, said, 
Uh, we listened to a great podcast with Peter Schiff where Peter went through his whole testimony, basically, mm-hmm. where he, in essence, said he doesn't know what the hell's going doesn't on. Know. With the, he has no idea. I know. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a lot of everybody's trying to nickname what's going on in the market so that, you know, like, remember back in the crash, it was was a, a, a constipated python. No, that's what we, Was that, that what we said? Well, Anticipating more inventory. So, right. you know, we're always quick to try and understand something and label it to help us understand one of the things that I saw uh, being floated was the concept of a tornado market. So you might have, you know, five houses listed in one neighborhood, and one of them still sells right away with maybe a couple of offers, and it goes for full list. But <coughs> excuse me, but an almost identical house down the street, it seems like nobody cares about it. Just like when a tornado hits here, but they don't touch that house. And so I don't know. I that shows that we're all searching for the path, for the direction. You know the joke about ride the horse in the direction that it's riding. We're trying to find what direction to ride it in. The reason that this market is unlike any other market in the last 75 years, and by the way, this economy is like any other economy in the last Mm -hmm. 75 years, is because of inflation. The inflation that we're experiencing in the country now is, you know, you can politicize this all you want, but I'll just say based on what Julian and I have researched, is the worst that it's been in at least the last 75 years. We're experiencing the worst, uh, fat, the quickest rise of the cost of everything than we have in basically everyone who's listening to its life, uh, this podcast's lifetime. Um, and possibly your grandparents as well. You guys get the point here? And the Fed's reaction to the inflation, which is, I mean, we've had not one, not two, not three, but four interest rate hikes of 75 basis points apiece in the past, what, I think it, like um, maybe just over 120 days. That's a lot very quickly. Well, so the inflation thing is what makes this market not like last, uh, you know, essentially what happened 15 years ago. And again, I talked about this yesterday. Julie and I talked about this yesterday. Dave Ramsey, the way he's expressing it is really, I think, 100% accurate. What he is saying in essence is that homes are going to continue to increase in price, inflation. And even though the interest rates, what, yeah, I love what you said yesterday, right? Date the rate, marry the house, yes, right? Yes, that's right. And that ultimately is what you should be doing. Buy a house now because the inflation is going to cause the price to increase. Um, and whatever, you know, if you're panicked about rising interest rates, well, let's say interest rates do go up because it looks like they're going to continue to go up. They could go up as high as 10, maybe even 11%. And that is an extraordinary increase over what was just six, seven months ago where you could get a rate in the threes. It is emotionally... Uh, exhausting to even think about that kind of rate increase. But what difference does it make if your rent is increasing at the same time? What difference does it make if, you know, you're in a set, if well, ultimately, your equity is also increasing? It, well, that's really where I was going with all of it. Yeah. So if you have a house and the homes are appreciating by, you know, five, 10% per year, appreciation in inflation, guys, the, how it feels is the same. Ultimately, the cost of your house, the value of it in, in, in essence is increasing. Um, and the difference is, is inflation is where everything is increasing, whereas appreciation is where maybe your house would just inflate. So like back during the housing boom before homes were going up in value, but everything else was the inflation rate overall wasn't like much higher than two or 3%. So when you sold your house and it increased in value year over year by like 10% or something, you actually were ahead of the market. So you increased your, essentially your buying power was, uh, further down the road than it is now. Now, if you make money on your house or you make money on something else and eggs are up 30% year over year, well, essentially you might have more money, 
but everything else essentially is this, is more expensive as well. So it doesn't increase your buying power. That inflation uh, juggernaut that I'm describing now is like something that we have never experienced before. That's what makes all uh, forms of projections almost impossible to do. So the Fed's two jobs basically are to keep, if for whatever reason the inflation rate is, to keep the inflation rate around 2% and to um, do something about unemployment, mm-hmm. right? Make it so unemployment doesn't in- increase dramatically. Those are its two prime directives. So they're failing on the interest rate front. And it looks like based on all the big companies that are starting to fire people, when you see Facebook and you see Amazon and you see all these you know, big companies letting a lot of people go, in some case thousands of people is going, you can assume that the medium and small businesses are also going to be following suit faster than you can imagine, which means what most likely is going to happen, unfortunately, is that um, you're going to see a big rise in unemployment. And if there is a big rise in unemployment, and again, it's going to be a regional thing and it's going to be industry dependent and all the rest of it. But if that actually happens, even before it happens, what you're going to see is the Fed's going to back off on their interest rate um, increasing and they're most likely going to lower rates again. I think that's the number one thing that they're waiting to see happen or cause happen. That's going to be sort of the linchpin in stopping this um, interest rate increase. Well, I talked about, uh, I told you I watched a video by Morton Freeman, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Morton Freeman said that, <laughs> let me try to get this right. So Morton Freeman said, in essence, that printing money and alcohol have a lot in common. No, this is a good analogy. Yeah, it feels good when you start. Like after one glass of wine, it feels good. Uh, but the more you continue to drink, the less of a you know feel-good effect you have. And then getting off alcohol or deciding not to be an alcoholic anymore takes a lot of trauma. So if you've got a real bad uh, substance abuse problem and you decide to detox, well, that's an unpleasant experience. Never having done it before, but had friends that have. No, serious um, hard reset, right? Yeah. And some people actually through, um, you know, going through withdrawal, uh, sometimes they die. I mean, sometimes the body can't take having the substance withdrawn from its system. It just, it, it can't. It's hardwired now to accept the substance of whatever was stimulating it, and you remove it, the, the whole organ, the organism fails, basically. So, yeah, it's fun, it's fun when you're you know, getting drunk, maybe, and it's not so fun when you're trying to sober up, especially if you develop an, an addiction. Well, that is exactly what inflation is. It feels good when you're, uh, essentially, everyone's enjoying the benefits. Maybe we should all remember 2019, 2020, 2021, mm-hmm. when everyone was feeling rich, right? It feels great, but then when all of a sudden the inflation uh, addiction has to be pulled away or the printing money uh, has to be pulled away, then all of a sudden you're dealing with a lot of very hard withdrawal. In shock. In shock. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to have to happen because we're all going to have to pay the price of the money that was printed, the trillions and trillions of dollars that were injected in the economy, especially after COVID. When that happened, that is what triggered a massive spending uh, spree across really the globe. And now we're all paying the price for it. And we're going to continue to pay the price for it in the form of inflation. It's not going to be deflation. This is what Dave Ramsey was trying to emphasize. If you buy a house now, even though you're having to pay a higher interest rate, even though you think you might be paying on the top of the market, there's an excellent chance because of inflation that that house is going to be worth significantly more next year, which means that even if the interest rates do fall, you won't be able to afford it because you've essentially been priced out of the market. And these are all interesting things that it's difficult to put your, put your mind in um, the orbit of understanding the effects of inflation. It's even hard to express it. Julie and I talk about this every day because we're trying to get better at explaining all of this. And the first things we try to do is explain it to each other. It's not easy because it's so bizarre because you would think that during some sort of housing 
let's say, setback. There was going to be deflation, but there isn't going to be deflation. Things aren't going to come down in value. They're actually going to continue to go up in value because of all the massive amount of uh, inflation that's already in the marketplace. So I know this all sounds very confusing, but it's important at least that you have an understanding of it. So you will personally have a sense of confidence knowing that, by the way, you're in real estate. And being in real estate is one of the best industries to be in. Selling homes is one of the best industries to be in in any market direction, whether the prices are going up or the prices are going down. Because, well, here, how about this? You, there might be fewer transactions. Like Julie and I were telling you in 2005, there were 7.1 transactions, 7.1 million. In 2021, there are 6.1 million transactions. Julie and I are now discovering that this year, it's going to be, what, 4.35 million transactions, Mm -hmm. according to National Association of Realtors. We're foreshadowing our points, by the way. Um, Next year, let's assume that there's going to be the same, if not fewer, transactions. Let's assume that there's going to be, compared to 2021, a million and a half fewer transactions that happened in 2023. That is a lot of transactions. But here's the irony of it. Those, uh, the transactions that do happen next year are going to be substantially more expensive than they were in 2021 because of the inflation. You're talking about homes now that have gone up by 20, maybe in some cases 30%. So you're going to get paid more on those transactions. And as Julie and I've been telling you, uh, commissions are going up, starting with the builders. The builders are always the first to raise commissions. And now you're going to start seeing commissions actually increase on the uh, normal resale side of things too. These are all the things that are happening. Again, this is bizarre way of thinking, but you know, recession, prices should fall. Nope. Prices are going to increase. <laughs> I know. And it is confusing. I'll give you the example of uh, one of our longtime coaching clients, Lance Kenmore, took an expired a couple of days ago and raised the commission by about half percent over what the previous agent had and got a price adjustment down at the same time. Now that sounds like crazy talk to agents that have only sold where your job is to choose the over, you know, over appraised offer in a competitive market. So it is confusing. There's a lot of different things that are happening at once. And that's why we're bringing you these facts today. Let's start with home sales price. This is what's actually happening guys. The median, let me explain something because this can be confusing. The median means that the half of the sales were more and half of the sales were less. Average is when you actually add all of the sales up together and divide by the number of sales. They're usually fairly similar, but that's why you see some fluctuation. So home sales price, the median existing home sale price rose 8.4% from one year ago. And remember one year ago, it had already been rising for years to 384,800, according to September of this year data from NAR, National Association of Realtors. For new homes, the current average sales price nationwide is 470,600, up around 14% from a year ago, uh, says the Assistant Vice President Forecasting and Analysis for uh, National Association of Home Builders. So that's for newer homes, okay? So everything is still going up. Maybe it's not 25%, but year over year over last year, which was also a banner year, still up for resale 8.4% and new construction 14% from a year ago. Now, you should do some math, listeners, and do this yourself. So let's just use simple math. Let's assume the average sale price between new construction, based on Julie's two numbers, is 400, right? Let's say 425. If someone were to say put 10% down, so they're going to put 50, you know, let's say 40 grand, right, um, on a house and they're going to have a, a uh, you know, existing mortgage balance of roughly 360,000, let's say, or actually it'd be 370 or 380,000. Figure out what the interest they're going to pay on that loan. Maybe even the PITI in that loan for that particular year to own that home. And then compare that to 
what the home will appreciate uh, to in one year based on these projected and actual uh, rises in prices, right? So if you think home prices, and a lot of people do, are going to increase by you know 8%, 10%, 12% year over year, and your total cost of owning that home is less than what the home inflated by or appreciated by, that's not a bad deal, especially when you compare it to renting. That is for sure. So keep things in perspective. We're giving you talking points because you will be speaking with people this weekend. Yes, everybody's nodding their head. Yes, they're going to talk to prospects. They're going to get out there and have these discussions. <laughs> Pre-programming. All right, so what about inventory? There's so many headlines about rising inventory. Well, though the inventory, the available homes on the market right now, is higher than it was in the beginning of this year, the supply of homes still remains historically low, again, says NAR Chief Economist and Senior VP of Research Lawrence Yoon. The inventory of unsold existing homes was at a 3.2-month uh, supply uh, just last month. So 3.2 month supply is not the end of the world. That's not even a balanced market yet. 180 days, uh, people believe, is the uh, is a balanced market, right? Which means well, about. What does that mean? It means the houses will stay on average. <laughs> it's funny as I say this out loud because so many listeners are going to be going, like, oh my God. What's that? It means the homes will stay on an average of six months before they find a buyer on average. And they typically will sell you know, within a few percentage points of their final list price, many times after a price adjustment down. And usually that's only to one purchaser, not multiple bids. You remember our old script, your first offer is usually your best offer and maybe your only offer, at least for a few months. Okay, so uh, I, I kept on researching this. And in addition to what uh, Lawrence Yoon was saying, according to Mike Simonson, CEO of Altos Research, there are, these are unprecedented times. If we compare inventory to our last, quote, normal year, 2019, we see that we are still approximately 40% below that year's inventory. And remember, back in 19, we were all complaining about inventory. Uh, but we're 40% below that year's inventory at this time, 425,000 active listings today versus 955 in October of 2019. So we're still very low. And Hold, that is that, keeping the prices high. I hadn't heard that before. That is <laughs> yeah. an amazing statistic. Yep. So, so you, it's important. Read that again. Okay. So let's see. According to Altos Research, uh, if we compare inventory to our last normal year, which was 2019, we see that we are still approximately 40% below that year's inventory at this time that year. 425,000 active listings today versus 955 in October of 2019. So why are this explains why house prices are staying up, right? It's simple supply and demand. And also, I don't know if you had this in there. Did you cover the average equity of homeowners in the United States? I believe it's in there. You and let's, I sort of, going. we vaguely remember it, right? <laughs> yeah. But basically, if you look at all the homes that are uh, in the existing homes in the United States, half of them, these aren't the exact numbers. Julie's scanning her notes to see if she actually did that homework. But half of them are owned outright with no mortgage. Yeah, this and, is the and the other half, the other 50%, that have mortgages, those owners on average, I think, have 50% equity, don't yes, they? Yes, and increasing daily. So every right. time I research it, it's actually better. And I'm only interjecting that into Julie's points just to really make it clear that there is absolutely no foreclosure short sale opportunity anywhere on the horizon for a vast majority of the country. And we're going to get more to that in a second. Okay, perfect. Okay, but meanwhile, <laughs> days on the market. Oh my gosh, I'm not getting very many showings. It's taking forever to sell my listing. Well, yeah, compared to 22 seconds that you're used to, but... Days on the market. With inventory still tight, homes continue to sell quickly. Just last month or, you know, in the past 60 days, the median number of days on the market for sold homes ranged from 13 to 23. Oh, no. Depending on the price, according to the September NAR data, 
In a more typical market, it's 45 days, says uh, Yoon. Okay, so yes, they're stretching out. Maybe you only have one offer or two offers, but they are still selling. Remember, the best homes, which are priced correctly, staged correctly, not marketed in a lazy way, right? So you're still doing nice pictures. You've got your home brochure box. You're doing your open house. You're doing your job are still going to sell in 45 days or less. But do remember, in November and December and January of every year with the holidays, now you add midterm elections and you rise, add the rising rates and the economic uncertainty and all these other things, it is normal and natural for the sales pr process to be protracted because as Julie said, if you want to know what scares buyers off or any kind of buyer buying any kind of anything, it's uncertainty in, right. the, in their essentially their financial future. If people feel insecure, they're not, you know, they don't feel optimistic. They're not going to be buying things, especially high ticket things no, like they homes. Just wait. They just wait. Yep. That's right. So, and, and that plays into our next point, homes sold. Now, this is something that we're definitely watching. Fewer existing homes are selling nationwide. According to September NAR data using 2022, during 2022, the seasonally adjusted total figure dropped from 6.49 million in January to 4.71 million in September. Hey, that's me, a big swing. Let me, let me just say this. So at the beginning of the year, National Association of Realtors was expecting there to be 6.5 million home sales. Um, oops. Yeah, missed that one. <laughs> yep. But, you know, we also didn't all know that we we're going to have all these rate hikes and the uncertainty in the market. But I would point out, you know, the opposite of this too. So back in the beginning of the year, everybody said 6.5 million is the projection. All right, now they're adjusting it to say, 4.7. Now, what about all of the projections for next year? Look at how quickly that swung. Now, let's say, and I was listening to a whole bunch of podcasts with mortgage people this morning. Let's say that the predictions that we're going to have higher rates for a year to 18 months as we work through this inflation issue, and then rates settle back down because as soon as, to your point, as soon as the uh, unemployment goes up, they are potentially going to fall into maybe the five and a half to six and a half range. And that's what so we think. So this could be revised again next year if we see that. They're going to say, well, now we're projecting it back up. What we think, what Julie and I, our own prediction is, is that you are going to see a lot of uh, essentially political pressure and otherwise not to let the country go into some massive, you know, recession, depression type thing. Right. And that is going to force the Fed to in many cases, start or restart some form of quantitative easing, money printing, lowering of interest rates. And the Fed does, you know, the it used to be that uh, mortgage interest rates were tied to things like LIBOR, London Interbank. I don't remember what O&R stand for. Index. Yeah, but the now essentially the government controls what the interest rates are. So you're dealing with the fact that the government can more or less directly control what mortgage interest rates are. And you're going to see a lot of pressure for if there's any sign of deflation, the Fed said this basically, any sign of deflation or meaningful unemployment, they're going to stop uh, with the rising of the rates. They, right. And then the uncertainty will leave the market as well. But let's go back to the alcohol versus money printing analogy from mm -hmm. Morton Friedman. That just is going to protract and uh, uh, drag out the recovery. Yes. It's not going to be that we don't still have a problem. It's just yeah. going to take a lot longer for us to get over the problem. Mm -hmm. And what Paul Volker, Volker did in 82 is he said, well, look, we've you know, to this point where you're just mm -hmm. saying that people are projecting rates are going to go down and after the inflation sorted itself out in 18 months, I was thinking to myself, that sounds like some bullshit because yeah. the last time we had anything that was similar to this, it was over 10 years. That's so right. the inflation last time we were in a situation that was similar to this lasted from basically the late sixties all the way to the early eighties. And then it took Paul Volcker to effectively raise mortgage interest rates up to 20%. And that was what 
broke the infla- inflation's back. That actually is what it took. Well, that to, was the sobering up part. That was That's what I'm trying to express. That's the sobering up. And if it takes something like that, will this government, will this Fed, will they have the courage to do it? Will they be willing to do it? We don't know. Do that's they have the, the political power to do it? Exactly. Uh, and But here's the big difference. And I know we're getting very nerdish on this. <laughs> but again, this Julie and I really do try our best to study all this information so we can be great coaches to all of you. The reality of it is, is that the biggest difference between the early 80s and now, and the reason that the Fed really cannot continue to raise interest rates is because when they raise interest rates, they're also raising the debt service on uh, the interest rate on the national debt. On themselves, essentially. Essentially. So the national debt now is over $30 trillion. Uh, I heard several people talking about this on different podcasts that if the Fed raises rates to 6%, the Fed rate is 6%, mortgage rates will be easily 10% if that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if the Fed raises their rate to, it's right now at 4%. You can buy a, a treasury bond for you know something like 4%. If it goes to 6%, which again, people are projecting, something like a third of the amount of money that the U.S. government collects per year uh, in the form of taxes, obviously, will go to the debt service, will go to paying uh, the bondholders. In Will that happen? Are you, so what's that going to mean? If all of a sudden, all a third of the, all the revenue or income the U.S. government exper- you know, takes in has to go to paying debts, what are they not going to pay? That means entitlements aren't going to happen. That means you're going to see all kinds of you know suggested cuts in Social Security and all these other things. Other problems will arise. Do you guys think that's going to happen? No. No, I don't think don't so think either. So. so the problem we have now is that unlike the early 80s, we don't have... In, in the early 80s, there wasn't an enormous debt problem, an enormous you know interest rate debt servicing problem like there is now. So there is a ceiling to how high the Fed can raise rates before they have to essentially give into inflation. So you're gonna have they're they're gonna do one of two things. They're either gonna trash the economy, and I just expressed to you guys the different things that could happen, um, or they're basically gonna have to essentially let the recovery happen over a generation. Which do you think they'll do? Yeah, that's the thing, right? So, and and meanwhile, you know, things will start to maybe normalize a little bit. It'll be less radical because right now everything we're doing is comparing it to last year, which makes it seem that much more radical. So let's talk about interest rates. As of today, they actually raised it today. The current average rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage is 7.32%, increasing 15 basis points over just the last seven days. Last week, it was 7.08%. So uh, we are going to do a series about different ways of combating that because there are becoming more and more. We talked about builders buying the rate down yesterday. Okay, so what about builders? New home starts, according to... Good luck with uh, that name. Yeah, that name. Uh, the, <laughs> an economist, I believe. The Try it. Try it, just so the listeners Nana can be entertained. Yakara Skillington. I got the Skillington part. Uh, the <laughs> seasonally adjusted annual rate for new single-family home starts is 892,000 homes, which is down 18.5% compared to last year. So that brings us to the big question that everybody's marketing to you guys, trying to convince you of a big housing market crash. Well, let's take a look at that. So while it's been showing that I'm quoting Yoon again, okay? So he said, while it's been showing bubble-like properties, Yoon, again, he works for NAR, does not expect the residential real estate market to violently pop. What did I just say? Does not expect the real estate market to violently pop. Although he predicts that sales will be at a low point next year, sales, with only 5.3 million. See, that's already revised from 
five minutes ago, 5.3 million units sold. He foresees a gradual increase afterwards up to an annual 6 million units by 2027. Despite the higher mortgage rates, home prices are still above what they were one year ago, he adds. Even if they decline 5% or 10% in California, everybody's you know throwing California under the bus because they're a more volatile market next year, that is still not close to crashing, which is characterized by a one-third drop, a 30% decrease will not happen because there isn't enough inventory, he explains. A crash happens with oversupply. He believes the housing shortage will continue this year with the supply balancing out by five years. Now, here's something you were alluding to earlier. Hold on. Isn't this the same guy that said there were going to be nearly 7 million home sales just like seven, you know, know. 10 months ago? Yes. But that well, aside. Times are changing, right? Times are changing. Okay, so... More more color to this. Total mortgage debt in the United States is now less than 43% of current home values, the lowest on record. Okay, so negative equity, which is when a borrower owes more money than the loan, uh, than the home is worth, is virtually non-existent. I'm going to say that again so that those of you who are getting pitched on sign up for my REO and short sale list and the world's coming to an end and we're going to have an avalanche of foreclosures, I call BS on that. Negative equity is when a borrower owes more than on the loan, okay? And remember, we have a lot of agents that maybe think that if a home price is falling, that somehow the homeowner is upside down. No, it has to do with the comparison between what they owe versus what it's worth, and it is that problem is virtually non-existent. Well, and add to this, Julie, the number of people that have super low interest rate mortgages. We're going to talk about that too. Okay, sorry. Okay, so so remember being upside down. So these are terms that these guys live in fear of being upside down, short sale, all that kind of stuff. That means that or underwater. That means they owe more than the home is worth. Now we just told you that the mortgage debt is less than 43%. It's not even 50% of the home's value. It's less than 43%. Well, explain that, Julie. Make that really clear. Well, so if I have a, just to keep the math, let's make it a million instead of 100,000. Okay, so if I have a million dollar home and I have a mortgage on it, I, on average in the US, I only owe 430,000, which means the rest of it, the difference between that 430 and the million is my equity. I am not even close to upside down. Even if there was a 30% decline, I'm still not there. You guys get it? And that's really important. That's reality. Because there are, again, a lot of people that are trying to sell a lot of hype out there about the sky is falling. The sky is not falling. The sky is not going to fall. The sky is actually going up. It Well, <laughs> a little bit. that's kind of scary too. No. But the reality of it is, is this is a stellar market for agents who have skills. Agents who don't have skills Agents who don't know some of the things that we're sharing with you guys, what are they going to do? They're going to their heads are going to be full of you know headlines from the news, freaking quote unquote. Out. They're going to be freaking out. They're going to be doing nothing other than passing disinformation. They're going to be telling you know their buyers not to buy. They're going to be they're just going to be out of the mm-hmm. market. Professionals, skills. That's what this market's all about. That's the reason that so many of you are joining Premier Coaching, and we've made it very easy for you. Just text the word Premier to four seven three seven two. Guys, you can join Premier Coaching right now. Have instant free access to our coaching pr- uh, program, including a daily weekday that is semi-private coaching call with a Harris certified coach. Text the word Premier to 47372. Or if you prefer, you can go to members.timandjulieharris.com. 
Uh, but the easiest and the quickest way to do it, the way most of you frankly do it, is just text the word Premier to 47372. We'll text you back a link. You click the link and it takes about 22 seconds for you to join Premier Coaching. Do that urgently. That is your absolute big takeaway from all of our podcasts, especially since June, because that's when we made it available to everyone uh, to have instant access for no charge. So text the word Premier to 47372. That way you have an unbelievably clear sense of direction going into the new year. Yes, that's right. So remember, we're just talking about how uh, negative equity or owing more than the home is worth is virtually non-existent. Now, let's just prove that that is totally different than, quote, last time. Compare that, what I just said, to the more than one in four borrowers who were underwater. They owed more than the home was worth by 2011. Now, currently, just 2.5% of borrowers have less than 10% equity. We're not even talking about being upside down. We're saying 2.5% have less than 10% equity in their homes. All of this provides a huge cushion should home prices actually fall. Well, okay, so let's scale this out. If the average home in the United States is 425000 that means the average homeowner in the United States has about $50,000 of equity. Oh, and by the way, homes are expected to increase in value or more, right? The minimum. And those are probably the ones that have purchased Mm -hmm. in the first six months of this year, truthfully. That's right. Or maybe they refied as high as they could refinance and pulled some cash out. There's different reasons, but still there's a big, big cushion totally different than last that time. is what inflation does that's the <laughs> that's bugaboo the good part. <laughs> right that's the exactly okay now here's just to add to this so you guys are really clear and you don't go shelling out money for those magical reo lists okay so not as many risky loans there are currently two and a half million adjustable rate mortgages known as arms adjustable rate mortgage outstanding today that's about eight percent of active mortgages and remember that half the country who owns homes don't even have mortgages so it's even smaller than you think eight percent of active mortgages that is the lowest volume on record adjustable rate mortgages can be fixed usually for terms of five seven or ten years How, so uh, so that's another misconception right so agents sometimes think that an adjustable rate mortgage means that every time you make your mortgage payment and there is a loan that's like that but typically they are actually fixed for a certain amount of time. It's not like this month I'm paying $2,500, next month I'm paying $3,500. They're fixed for an amount of years. And you can refinance out of them at any yes. time. But most of the adjustable rates, if you look, and Julie and I have seen graphs on this, were taken really from like the middle of last year until the middle of this year. And so if they have, even if it's a five-year arm, they've got years left before they even have to worry about the rate adjusting. That's right. And they may even move, downsize, you know, relocate, sell the house, or refi. But go back to this. This is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Or about 8% of all active mortgages. That means 92% uh-huh. of all of America is on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Correct. And we can assume... If they even have a mortgage, yes. Correct. And right. Remember, half the homes are owned outright, no mortgage. So if the other half, 92% have 30-year fixed rate mortgages. And it's safe to assume that probably, what, 4% or less, maybe 3.5% or less is their mortgage interest rate. Yeah. So there's another little problem that nobody's really figuring in. People are going to be locked in voluntarily to their homes because they're not going to be able to rationalize the, the move up cost is going to be too much unless they're obviously sitting on a mountain of equity and they can either pay cash for their next house or buy it down so the yeah. existing balance is so low. It's actually called the locked-in effect by mortgage people, right? right? Okay, so in 2007, just before the housing market crashed, there were 13.1 million arms. Remember, right now there's only 2.5 million. Back then there were 13.1 million adjustable rates representing 36% of all mortgages. Back then, the underwriting on those types of loans was extremely sketch. 
such as my favorite, the ninja loan, no income, no job, or assets, that's the A, or no doc loans, no documentation where you didn't actually have to do any paperwork, or stated income, yeah, I make that much, but new regulations following the housing crash changed all those rules, and right now the record uh, lender overlays are actually as high as they've ever been, it's definitely not the same as the previous shift. Okay, what's an overlay? An overlay is an extra set of standards. Based, I mean, the word says it all, right? It's more uh, higher credit scoring or more time on the job or uh, maybe you have to have more down payment or whatever, whatever. It's extra rules that the lender is allowed to put on top of what is actually required to take the loan. Which they decide, you know, right. from lender to lender. And agents, I see them arguing online about this. That's not illegal. They are absolutely allowed to do that. It is based on their own risk mitigation people who are staffers that look at how much debt they have and what the risk is. But Julie, along those lines, mm -hmm. and I've been we've been both paying attention to this, the lender overlays are nowhere near as egregious as they were in mm -hmm. really 2008, 2009, 2010. Yeah. They're much That's uh, true. smaller. Not, not as, so the lenders, their modeling isn't factoring into any sort of... Uh, the risk of any price depreciation is incredibly low. Mm -hmm. Now, sure. it's interesting on a commercial side. You mm -hmm. and I talked about this yesterday because we were mm -hmm. thinking about doing a pot on commercial. Commercial, especially office space, that's going to be the wild, wild west. There are, mm -hmm. There's going to be depreciation of commercial properties. But here's the fascinating thing. This is kind of wonkish, but some of you might appreciate it. A lot of the commercial, like if you were to go and buy a commercial uh, like office building or whatnot, you cannot lower your um, the rent to be more competitive uh, because what happens is if you lower it below a certain threshold, you devalue the property, right? So if you if your loan was predicated and you didn't pay cash, you borrowed it from the bank, and it, it was borrowed based on the projected cash flow, the bank is your partner in that particular building. If you lower the rents to meet the market or to keep tenants, you're going to then devalue the property because obviously the property value is based on what the cash flow is. And you're not allowed to do that with most commercial loans. So you're going to be looking at all kinds of, you know, you mentioned the constipated python. Mm -hmm. If you want to know where the pain's going to be, that's where the pain's going to be. And I think, frankly, I think about a lot of these agents that are listening, these brokers and teams yes. that have office space. Mm -hmm. and they're going to be, then they think, well, I'm going to go to my landlord and I'm going to renegotiate. No, you're not. You're not because they're not going to be able to unless it's, a, you know, like I said, it's in, in not a class A space, even class B space. They, they or can't, if there's no loan on it. They can't, they can't renegotiate because their lender won't let them. In some cases, if they, re, if they lower rents below the agreed upon threshold when they got the loan, that's actually can trigger a default in the loan and the bank can take the property back because the owner is mismanaging the property. In other words, the bank's partner, which is the you know, quote unquote owner of the property, mm -hmm. is going to lose the property because of the fact that they've lowered the rents. And they had to lower the rents to keep tenants and or you know, hypothetically keep tenants or attract tenants, but that's not going to happen. So if those of you who have fixed office space, those of agents and brokers who are wondering what the future is going to be, the reality of it is, is we are in a long-term cycle. And urgently, you have to position yourself to be competitive, not just to survive this firestorm in this market, but you need to learn how to thrive because of this market. One of the things that we're, well, really the number one thing we're suggesting every single agent broker team do is seriously consider, if not, you know, move past considering and just join eXp Realty. 
EXP Realty's growth this year in this market, EXP's number of agents, the net agents, even after agents leaving, leaving real estate, is still up by over 30%. Why are so many agents and teams and brokers moving over to EXP Realty? It's time for you to find out, but I'll give you the punchline. They make more money. They spend less money. They have more net. It's financially viable for them. It makes sense for them to move over to EXP Realty because this market is not going to essentially allow their existing business models to work. If, you're move, if you've only been in real estate for like the past 15 years, and I'm talking to you team owners, I'm talking to you uh, small and medium-sized brokers, that business model that you've been building where you're providing buyer leads and you're doing all the rest of this, a high cost of acquisition type business, you have got to open your eyes to the reality that Everything is going to get tougher. The cost of buying leads, the cost of running your business, uh, frankly, what you pay your agents. You don't think agents are going to start demanding higher commission splits? Do something about it. Don't wait. Don't wait six months to find out if what I'm telling you is true. Look around and notice that the leaders in the country, for the most part, are all moving over to XP Realty. Why? You're seeing franchise owners, when their franchise agreements are coming to an end, moving over to XP Realty. You're looking at these huge brokerages moving over to XP Realty. Why? Because it puts more money in their pocket. The conversation used to be, what, is, what are you paying your broker? Now it's, what is your, paying, your broker paying you? does not matter if you're a new agent, a seasoned agent, or a, really a, a massive mega producer. You need to take a serious look at eXp Realty. If you've not yet chosen a sponsor, Julie and I would be honored if you consider us to be your eXp Realty sponsors. Let's get the conversation started. Text me directly on my cell phone, 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. On that call, we will have, I'll give you the facts. I'll give you some information so you can do your own homework, just like we do on this podcast. And then 99% of you are going to come to the next natural conclusion that moving it over to EXP Realty just makes sense. Text me now, 512-758-0206. Put in the uh, subject line of the text, EXP or whatever. It doesn't really matter. I'm interested in eXp. And then tell me a little bit about your situation. And then uh, I'll text you back and then we'll schedule a call and then we'll work through it. And I'll do, we'll have a spreadsheet created so you can compare your expenses. We'll do a, a profit analysis so you can see how much more money you're making. I've had calls like this uh, probably two or three a day for the last um, almost two months. A long time. Yeah. Right. Because the market's been changing. And in every single example, we've been able to show them definitively how much more money they're going to make with the XP Realty. Absolutely. And I my, hear those conversations, and you're absolutely correct. My high watermark mm -hmm. uh, before yes. was with Chuck Williamson, who listens. I love making fun of you, Chuck, but, you know, with love. But he's lost his crown. He lost his crown. Right. Chuck, that's the good news. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So Chuck Williamson was, the, was uh, an independent agent at an independent brokerage. For a long time, and he was paying his broker in commission splits over three hundred, like three hundred fifty thousand a year. Uh, he moved over to EXP, and because he is an icon agent, and he gets his cap back, which is only sixteen grand. Mm -hmm. Effectively, he doesn't pay the broker anything. Nope. The you know EXP is paying him to be at EXP That's in right. essence. Well, I did an analysis with another, essentially another top producing agent. This one had a team, mm -hmm. and the amount of money that they were paying their let's just say gold jacketed broker was over $400,000 a year. Wow. Right. No, they're paying over 400,000. And if this mm -hmm. person moves over to EXP, the amount of money and this person had a team mm -hmm. was something like $48,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So they were going to pay something. Uh, sure. They were going to icon. So they would end up paying still anything. 400. Exactly. But yeah. they're, they, you know, they're 10 agents. If you add it all up, basically they'll pay 48,000 EXP versus 400,000. And if you want to know how to, 
hedge yourself or leverage yourself or protect yourself into a changing market, there's a hell of an easy opportunity for you to put more money in your pocket. If transactions do decrease, you don't have to decrease your personal net. You don't have to decrease your lifestyle. You got to decrease your overhead. And frankly, real estate commission or what you're paying your broker is one of the easiest things that you can go after. A lot of your brokers aren't going to be able to reduce commissions. They're, they have fixed costs. They have office space and staff. They're not going to downsize. They're not going to shut offices. But that means that you're at risk depending on their situation, exactly. right? So moving, especially bro, you know, small brokers, especially teams, when you guys move, you are literally mitigating your own risk by going to eXp. You're removing all of that question. And remember that most brokerages only net three to four percent. So how are they going to weather this storm? Actually, going Julie, is it two percent? It's two percent. Most brokers net two percent, but in a market like this, the numbers will come out again uh, early next year, and you're going to see most. Uh, I would say even large brokers were operating at less than one percent. Most right. small and medium ones are uh, size brokers were absolutely making no money, if not losing money, especially over the last six well, months. And so what if some of them already started doing? They're subsidizing what's going going on with their own sales, but that's not going to last forever. I was just listening. I wanted to mention this, a special shout out to all of the mortgage professionals who have been laid off recently. And I know that there are literally hundreds of thousands of you. I was listening to reports on this. Some of you have your real estate license. You are absolutely welcome at eXp. You are absolutely welcome to come over to our premier coaching. We will take good care of you and help you transition. Why were somebody laid off? Well, because the, the whole refinance, you know, tsunami is over. And I, I was listening to three things that are happening with mortgage, mortgage companies right now. Number one, the smaller ones that were already, you know, kind of on very low margins, low staff are already gone. They've closed their doors. That's it. So there's, there are some displaced mortgage people as a result of that. Number two, the small and medium ones are already, and you're going to see a lot of reporting on this soon, being gobbled up by the bigger guys. Guild Mortgage, for example, is on a buying spree. They're going after some of these small and medium-sized guys. And then you have another thing that's happening, which is the, uh, the, tr the attempt to convert from a refinance um, business. For example, a, a, a mortgage company on the East Coast that was like 90% refinances just got their license on the West Coast in California, and they're retooling to do, guess what? reverse mortgages to California people who are, have tons of uh, equity. Now, not everybody's going to be able to make that pivot. Well, so this is my shout out to all of you mortgage people who have your license or are about to get your license because you no longer are cranking out those refinances. We feel for you. And on YouTube, you actually did a series of videos specifically geared towards new agents getting their licenses. You put up a video that was like, what was it how called? How to pass your first time. Yeah, how to pass your first who time. who wants to take it more than once, right? And, and well, this is coming, Julie's got, I don't even know how many real estate licenses. Lots of them. <laughs> you're getting another one too? I am. In Florida? Yes. And this also, by the way, that's a good video if you're working on your CE credit, but mainly it's focused on getting your license the first time. How do you deal with that test? Or maybe you get test anxiety. How do you understand what's going to be on the test? And it's, I think it's like a seven minute video of some things that I use myself which make test taking that much easier. Julie and I are incredibly excited and motivated and optimistic. I'm not, because of this market, frankly, I mean, I'll, because of this market, what's going to happen in this market is a skills-based approach, which we have obviously been doing our best to let the world know about in our entire coaching career, is going to absolutely be an enormous demand. And the agents who have taken the time 
despite the fact that you are, a lot of you are, well, why should I learn how to be a proactive lead generator when I know all these other agents that are doing a bunch of TikTok videos and they look like they're having a hell of a lot more fun? Well, that party's over. And now you who took the time to have the skills, you're going to shine. You're going to dominate. You're already super excited. Uh, We had some messages on Instagram Mm -hmm. from longtime coaching clients who are asking, saying, hey, Tim and Julie, why don't you, you know, talk about expireds. That's fine. But talk a little bit about less about expireds. Because I don't want any competition because I'm absolutely cleaning I up. I know. On- <laughs> Isn't that funny? I heard that from my uh, elite coaching clients as well. They're like, why, why do you keep doing that? So if you guys, <laughs> all of you should be ready to move over to EXP Realty. We strongly encourage the conversation. Love the opportunity uh, to earn the right to be your EXP Realty sponsor. If you have not yet chosen a sponsor, text me directly. 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. All right, Julie. Last point. Will it become a buyer's market? Okay, so back to our friend Lawrence Yoon. He says he expects the seller's market to continue while housing inventory remains low. But by five years, though, which for most of you is an eternity, so again, we're projecting here, but by five years, he foresees a balanced market, not even a buyer's market, a balanced market, where neither the buyer or the seller holds sway. Instead, the negotiating power between parties will be more equal and depend on the individual case. Can we just level off there? I mean, you know what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> How the hell can you predict anything from five years? I, I mean, God bless Lawrence Yoon. He's definitely doing his better job than, frankly, a lot of the chief economists and this at is NAR his have job done. To look into it, yeah. A lot of the chief economists have done at NAR in generations, and he's got to say something. But if anyone, no one can predict five years from now. That's oh. that's insane. And if you're really the only historical uh, benchmark for this is what we've been using, which is the 10 years basically between 1970 and 1982. I know it's 12, but same idea. That's the only real historical benchmark. And we already told you why that is is even a crappy benchmark because of the amount of debt that the U.S. government has. And the U.S. government can't just keep on raising rates because they're going to raise the debt payments on all that debt. It's not a direct comparable. Right. So to say, well, you know, this is like last time. No, it's not. (laughs) Nothing is like any of the last times. This is the trickiest, scariest, craziest, Weird. weirdest, most opportunistic economy in the last 75 years, for sure. So here's your summary after all of this. Hopefully we've stuffed your brains full of facts and removed the fiction. Your job is to speak with as many of your past clients, people in your sphere, your leads, your prospects, and existing clients every day. Do they know the facts? Where are they getting the facts? What does it do to their plans? Who do they know who could use your help buying or selling real estate? Remember, there are transactions happening. Just get into your own MLS and look what's pending and what's recently sold. The nature of those transactions has changed. Not everybody's doing out of fear of missing out and cashing out and doing this and that and low interest rates. Guess what, guys? Really low interest rates are not the only reason somebody moves. We'll go back to what you said. Lawrence Yoon was projecting that there's four point uh uh, three, five million homes projected to sell next year. That's uh, how many transactions, guys? Over 8 million transactions, almost Plenty. 9 million transactions, right? There's two sides to every transaction. Mm-hmm. And we do know commissions are increasing, not decreasing. We do know sale prices are increasing, not decreasing. So you're looking at 9 million opportunities to get paid. And we also know the average sale price in the United States, let's just call it 425,000. So if commissions are increasing, if sale prices are increasing, uh, you're not going to have any shortage of opportunity okay. to help people. The agents doing the transactions will change. And one of the first things, and the reason Julie and I always are leading with facts and then translating it to realtor, if you will, is because we want you to feel confident. 
what did you say, Julie? It's in our book, right? Knowledge equals confidence. Ignorance equals fear. Knowledge equals confidence for you to go out and have meaningful conversations with folks. Ignorance equals fear, which means you're going to scare potential customers off. No one is going to want to transact with you if you don't know what the hell's going on in the market. But also if they smell the fear on you, they will not want to do business with you. You have to remain, you can call it optimistic, but what you have to remain is uh, frankly, informed and skilled. And when you're informed and skilled, no matter what direction the market goes, you're going to be optimistic because you're confident because you have a very, you essentially have information that your competitors won't have. Your information, you can imagine having a real estate conversation with any of your competitors using any of these facts and figures. How many of them do you think actually have any clue about what we shared with you? None. Much less your own database. You know, do you assume that everybody that you've sold a house to knows what their house is worth? knows that any of these facts are going on, no, or are they you know, hiding out in their basement thinking that the sky is falling, the real estate market is crashing, they overpaid, and oh my gosh, how am I ever going to refinance? They're freaking out. You can call them today and unfreak them out. Be of service. And this is what we teach you to do in Premier Coaching. We even give the scripts, we give you the schedule, we tell you what to say and when to say it. You know, it's exactly what Jules just said. If you are scrolling the headlines, go to Google Alerts or Google News and put in home values or put in anything to do with real estate and just read the headlines. It's all doom and gloom crap. Even though if you open it up and read what the actual content was, it wasn't necessarily doom and gloom. It's because people are doom clicking or what's the term? Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling, looking for bad news. I personally do not understand why people love to read bad news. I don't know why, especially any of you would be attracted to anything that was going to demotivate you. I don't know why any of you would essentially wish for things to get worse. I don't get it. And But evidently, that's what people are hoping for. That's the reason they keep on doom scrolling. And what does that do? It causes all these news with the biggest air quotes ever, uh, you know, outlets to give you more negative crap. So you'll click on it so they continue to sell ads. How many people actually just read headlines and never read the content? I bet you 90% if you, all of you never read past the, the you know, essentially the, the subject line of the whatever article is, mm-hmm. or even if you're looking on YouTube, whatever the title of the YouTube video is. And what's happened is the news outlets and the media outlets know that the more negative garbage they give you, the more you're going to click, the more they're basically going to be able to sell advertising. They're in desperate uh, mode too. Their media outlets, the first things that all these businesses have done, look at Facebook's earnings, is they're stopping advertising. All these advertising-based portals, you're going to see it in Zillow's um, revenue basically. Mm -hmm. Watch to see what happens to Premier. Uh, agent revenue. Zillow has only been around since 2007. They've never been through anything like this. What do you think is going to happen in on that front? So those of you who are Zillow premier agents or Zillow flex agents, you better be thinking a couple steps ahead. What happens if that doesn't become viable anymore? If you've got 10 pissed off, you know, angry birds, AKA buyer agents, you know, and they're dependent on you providing them these very expensive uh, leads from say, for example, Zillow or any of these other sources, what are you going to do if the number of leads, which has already happened, is cut in half, but the price is now double. What are you going to do? the quality isn't as good. It, well, exactly. And we, we, again, this is going back to all the calls we've been having with all these team members. And Julie said something a couple seconds ago. There are a lot of te- – we've been having these calls. We had these same damn calls back in 2007, mm-hmm. 2008. Tim and Julie, I've been listening to your podcast. I read your book. I've been following you guys for years. 
you know, I frankly didn't listen to anything you had to say. I just listened to you guys every day because, you know, someone entertaining, right? But ultimately, it seems like what you're saying is true. And now I'm realizing my business is not going the direction I thought it was going to go. I have an unsustainable business model. What the hell am I going to do? Uh, so then I, a lot of messaging like that. Then we'll message them back. We'll explain to me your situation so we know where to start the conversation. And what you inevitably hear is not only are they not making any money, but they're losing money and they're subsidizing the continuation of this defunct business model with their own efforts. In other words, they're taking listings themselves and the commissions that normally would have gone into their pockets are going to subsidize the business model because they're hoping and praying that the business is going to come back. But here's what we are now seeing. A lot of you are starting to sell assets because you want to maintain the yeah. idea that this business is viable. Your business is viable. You as a business owner are viable. Brokers, agents, team members, if you survived and thrived in the last market, you're going to survive and thrive in this market. You just got to change your approach. That's all it is. You are able to be successful no matter what market, whatever the market is, no matter what interest rates are. You just got to change. The longer you hold on to trying to make something that worked in the past market work in this market, the more you're going to suffer. And we saw this before. So people then obviously subsidize their business models. They start selling assets. They then start, you know, dipping into kids' college savings plans. We had all these kinds of conversations. Cashing out your we were, rental properties. Guys, don't do it. Don't go down with the ship. you got to take real proactive action now. You already know, should know, what the future is going to be like. It's going to reward those who are fast moving and meet the market where it's at and stop trying to make the market meet you where you were. In other words, the old business model. That's the reason that we're encouraging so many of you to come to eXp Realty because there's a lot of other people there that are carving out what their new business models are that this new market's going to necessitate. Interest rates are going to continue to rise. There's going to be other economic headwinds like we've never experienced before in at least all, our, all of our lifetimes. You guys get it? The uncertainty is real. Normal humans, non-licensees are feeling this as well. This is going to cause all of the existing paradigms to be under immense amounts of stress. And if you've got big overhead businesses, you got to seriously hit the reset on that right away. You will be more successful because of this market as long as you don't wait too long. Because if you Dig yourself into a hole. Now you're going to have to dig yourself uh, out of the hole, and then you're going to have to figure out how to survive in the new market. Don't wait to find out what we're telling you is true. Let us help you. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. So hopefully we've given you the motivation. Hopefully we've given you the education. Now it's up for you to take the action, guys. The greatest fortunes, we say this almost every day on this podcast because it's true. The greatest fortunes of man, including women, obviously, have always been made during the greatest times of change. No exceptions. All the revolutions, industrial revolution, you know, tech, rev web 1.0, web 2.0, all these greatest times of change have always been uh, led to enormous fortunes being created. That's going to what be what happens now. But you have to participate in it. You do. You have to participate in it and realize that you're going to have to do things differently. Good. It's a great opportunity for you to get ahead of the market because most of the market will not, I mean, they might, agents are hearing what we're saying now. Tens of thousands of you listen to this podcast every day. But how many who have teams and whatnot are going to say, that doesn't, not, not me, I'm good. Nope. I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to wait it out. Then a year from now, they make change. That's normal human behavior. If you want to be, uh, if you want to be abnormal and have abnormally good results, don't wait Get ahead of the curve, you know, and the head of the curve is now not six months or 12 months from now, because then it's going to be too late. Hopefully you guys keep all this in mind, but be excited, be optimistic, be grateful because you are in a blessed industry. You're in something 
that people are going to need no matter what the interest rates are. People always sure. need a place to live. Uh, I'll, I'm going to end on this sort of macabre, macabre tone. Uh-oh, warning. Uh, well, a story we were telling Zoe. Mm-hmm. So we were watching a sort of scary movie the other day mm-hmm. and uh, because it was around Halloween. Yep. And we were, they were in a graveyard. She's been in a graveyard before when we visited mm-hmm. my dad, you know. Yep. And so she knew what it was, but she didn't understand, I mean, completely. Yeah. So we had to explain to her what a graveyard was. Again, she kind of knew, but didn't really know. She's nine now or almost nine. So she's, you know, mentally there to understand it. Um, And it was more of an academic exercise. So this wasn't, you know, depressing or anything. But then we explained to her what it was. And then she started asking questions. And one of the questions she asked was like, does a grave cost money? You know, I mean, a nine-year-old. Like, like, how does that, how do you have to pay for that? Yeah, exactly. She said something like that. And he said, yep, the grave costs money. And she goes, that's not fair. That's crazy. And that's then we explained, well, that is still land, right? Yeah, exactly. Somebody owns that. Well, but the point is, is that you are going to have a cost of living. Even when you're not. <laughs> exactly. So no matter your entire life and beyond, you're always going to cost something. Um, you know, and maybe that's not a great way to leave the podcast. No, but I'll tell you what, let, let me make it practical though. At, right out of the tr- real estate treasure map, right out of coaching, one of the things that we have you do, because many of you have had some really kick-ass years, we get that, and you've got some money saved, but you know, it's called savings, not spendings. So one of the things we have you do is we have you look at, let's say you've got 90 days or six months or even a year of savings. And then we have you figure out what it costs you every month to live on. Okay. And then we remind you, what are you actually spending is probably 20% more than that. And then you divide it out. And when you do that, if you were to actually live on your savings, because you know, you're waiting the market out to see how it goes, you can actually put on the calendar the day that you will go broke. Well, the point I was making, and that's, it emphasizes what I was uh, expressing is that you're selling something, listeners, that everybody needs to buy, no matter what phase of life they're in, no matter what interest rates there are, no matter what political party is in vogue, no matter what blah, 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 you get it? You're selling something that somebody will always need, and that'll never not be true. You're either renting or you're owning, or you're, you guys get it? So there aren't very many other businesses that are like that. People move every day, though. There are different reasons other than just the stinking interest rate why people move. You know, one of the most common things I see our coaching clients listing and selling right now are uh, empty nesters, recent empty nesters, who have their homes paid off, whose homes have appreciated very nicely in the past 5, 10, 15 years. They're cashing them out, downsizing, and still spending like four or 500000 on a perfectly nice house, Downs- paying cash for that. Downsizing again. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Now, do they care about interest rates? Are they giving up a low interest rate? No, they've had their house paid off for 15 years. Right. And again, you're selling something. Think how many other industries are out there where uh, you don't, it's an option to buy it. It's a luxury. It's a, well, it'll be nice to have. Uh, here, I'll answer the question. Every damn thing. There's only a few things in life that utilities, right? You know, electric, heat, water, things like that. Food, but even food you can, and it's already happening at grocery stores. People are going from the, you know, the name brand down to the house brand. So, but still people have to eat, right? People need homes to live in. Oh, I just said it. And real estate. You could argue cars, but in certain cities, you can take Ubers all day or cabs or buses or your bike or your, hey, your feet, right? Mm -hmm. So you're selling something that everybody needs no matter what direction the economy is going. That is kind of insane if you think about how lucky you are, 
versus all the other people you know who are selling things that are optional or selling things that they can easily downsize out of. You know, think about it. A lot of the a popular term back in the housing crash was staycation, yeah. where people would stay home and versus going on vacation. You know, all these types of things. It's then travel took a big hit. Well, it's obvious if the economy gets worse, all the things that people are choosing to do as a luxury or even as a, you know, an enti- a sense of entitlement, they're not going to do anymore. No, nope, that's true. Yeah. And unlike housing, you're selling something that everybody needs. Oh, yes. And uh, your income is tied to the cost of the house. So being a commissioned salesperson is a good thing in your case. You know, you, you try doing that with an employer who's looking at layoffs, right? You know, go go ask for a year-over-year year 10 or 15% raise. Good luck with that. And frankly, if you're one of the 92% of Americans in the United States uh, with a mortgage and you're on a long-term fixed-rate mortgage at probably 3.5% or less, you have absolutely hit the home run. You have mm-hmm. a grand slam for life. When interest rates are, you know, 6, 8, 10% and you and appreciation or inflation on homes is 6, 8, 10%, arguably even more, and your mortgage interest rate is 3.5% or less, the bank is losing money on you. You are costing the bank money uh, because they got the money wrapped up in your house where they otherwise could have lent it to somebody else at a much higher interest rate. I got an email yesterday from a bank. Uh, the banks are now paying on savings accounts, normal savings accounts, and you don't have to have a big balance. Three percent. Well, I got another solicitation where you did have to have a big bank account of a savings account of five hundred grand. Guess what they're paying? Four point two percent. Now think about that. You could put your money in the bank and actually have uh, interest being paid on the money you would have used to pay your house in cash. Uh, you know, but if you have a long-term fixed-rate mortgage at three percent or three and a half percent, you're making money, and the interest on the house or the interest on the savings account is paying for your mortgage. You guys get the point? This awesome. is a bizarre. So you got to look at these inflation is bad news. Well, in essence it is, but the also reality of it is, is if you happen to be in real estate, if you happen to sell homes, mm-hmm. you, and you happen to have the right skill set, this is going to be the biggest boom in your lifetime, but you got to get your thoughts right. You got to get your skills right. And hopefully you're going to Take the next natural step and join Premier Coaching. Text the word Premier to 47372. Remember, when texting, message and data rates may apply. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.